Welcome to this week's episode of Build Value by Choice. I'm your host, Nana Bonsu, President and CEO of Infinite Horizons Incorporated. We help small business owners increase the value of their business while freeing up the business owners at the same time. You can check out our website at www.infhorizons.com forward slash podcast to watch episode previous episodes of the podcast and also give us a, a review and a rating on the whatever platform that you're listening on. This week, we are going to be talking about employee engagement and especially around alignment between your people's strategy and your business strategy. And I have the right guest to talk about it today. Our guest today is Everett Bluth. Everett is the president and owner of IRI Consultant LLC. He joined IRI in 1996 as the chief operating officer and director of research and assumed ownership in July of 2009. During his tenure at RRI, he has expanded the business on a global scale, serving companies in North and South America, Canada, Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. Prior to joining RRI, he was a senior management consultant at the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, where he completed many internal projects. His leadership and work on the national project earned him the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas President's Award for Excellence, a United States Secretary of Treasury Award for Distinction and Financial Systems Improvements. Everett holds a BS, a bachelor's degree in management science and an MBA major in statistics and decision sciences. He was an adjunct professor at the University of Dallas, Dallas's Graduate School of Business. Using his fluency in Spanish, Everett has consulted extensively with clients throughout Latin America. Welcome to Bill Valley by Choice, Everett. Uh, thank you, Nana. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Now, before we go into today's topic, is about how we align uh, business strategy with people's strategy. The, but your your whole thing is all about employee engagement, right? You talk about if you know you have employees that have been with you like for forty years that are still raving about the work that they do on a daily basis. How do you get employees to be highly engaged for that long period of time? And just what in your background just inspired you to be such a great leader? Well, that's a great question. Um, first of all, we've tried to always maintain a culture in our environment where you know we're fair, we're open, we're transparent. Uh, we deal with conflicts quickly uh, and move on. Uh, we, I think we've done a great job of putting our employees in the roles that they thrive in, that they enjoy doing. Uh, the type of work we do fits you know, the type of work that they are wired for uh, most naturally. And then we kind of, you know, say, here's here's the game, here's the assignments, here's the end game, and then try and stay out of the way as much as possible and jump in and help when we need. So a balance of autonomy, right levels of delegation, and of course, all the necessary training and, and uh, teaching and changes as our business changes and the business needs change, the needs of our clients change, and we update and try to stay nimble in that in that area. So piggybacking off of that, how do you ensure that your people's strategy uh, uh, align with your business strategy? Well, first of all, that's a great question. And that's one I think that probably doesn't get asked enough in the C-suite. Um, you need to back up a little bit first and, and decide on, on what the end game is. What are the results? Okay. So once the results are, are firm and everybody's on board, all the stakeholders are uh, clear on, on the game, then it's a matter of deciding, you know, what strategies are we going to use to get there? And then from there, you break the strategies down into the type of work that gets to be, needs to be done. Now, this all sounds you know, very straightforward, and it is, but it's really a tough thing to go do. It takes a lot of work, some trial and error. It may not happen in a, you know, in a three-day strategy session weekend uh, with, with the leadership. But once you get to the point of defining what the work is, 
then you can start creating what we would call a job target. And that target is the profile of the type of person that would be most naturally wired in their in their head. Okay. To do that kind of work, um, we look at the whole person as the following, and this might be a little more science than for this group, but I think it's important. Uh, you can get to learn a lot about a person, we call it a briefcase from the resume, it comes with their skills and their experience. Uh, through the interview process, you can learn a lot about them, their values, you know, what some of their drives are. But when it gets into the, what's actually in their head, normally you don't see the true full behavior of an employee until they're actually on the job. So it's a risk every time you hire somebody new. Uh, the same thing applies internally. If you have an existing team, uh, business needs change, operations change, products change, you need to make shift your talent around. So it's important to know how all these, those things match together. But once you have a, a clear job target and you can bring as much data and you know objective information to define that target, then you have, I think, a better model or profile against which to hire employees or move talent around within an organization as, as the business changes. So. That that's the recipe, if you want to call it that. It, it's hard, no 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 question about that. But it's an important step that if you don't do that on the front end, well, let me rephrase it in the positive. If you can do that right on the front end, then the downstream issues as far as people go will tend to be you know fewer, there'll be better performance, and you get the end result you're looking for. So normally, what happens? I mean, we all like you know we can all fall into our patterns, creatures of habits. You have a strategy and you just figure, look, you go to war with the army that you have. So right. it's not a question of, of trying to figure out what's going on in Nana's head. It's about, okay, we need to get to this. These are the results. This is a strategy for us to get there. Uh, these are the people that I have, for better or for worse. And how do we figure out how we can you know, fit them into that you know, strategy to, to make it happen? Why is that, a, you know, why that, may, that might that be a mistake? And why is it necessary for leaders to be able to Take the time that it takes to do that kind of soft work that may not be sometimes in you know, leadership, you're looking at hard you know, results and hard numbers and things of that sort, as opposed to like some of these quote unquote soft things. Why is it important to look at the psychological fit and the aptitude fit and perhaps bringing in an outside uh, firm like yours to help with that kind of effort? Well, I like the phrase you use, you know, go to war with the army you've got, okay? That, that is a very good analogy of how most companies are right now. I mean, we have a set of talent, we have a job to go do, and some of the struggles, some of the challenges that a business faces, most of them come from people issues. Uh, first of them I can think of is, you know, the right fit. There might be someone who has the skills and the talent and a lot of experience, but Somehow they may still be struggling in some way. It's hard to say. It's all over the map on what you know those indicators are. But perhaps they're being stretched outside of what the what I would call their natural way of working or what they're naturally wired to do. So the sooner a company can get a picture of that for everybody's heads or as many as possible, what's really in, like you said, Bono's head, where do I fit the best? Yeah, Bono wants to do a great job because he's a good employee. He works his hardest to do it, but it's almost like, it. well, I did an analogy in a presentation the other day. The, the Texas Rangers have 13 pitchers on their roster. They've got six lefties and seven righties. 
uh, they have that for a reason. They don't hire all righties and make them learn to throw left-handed. Okay, it gets down, you know, you can get down to that level of what's in an employee's head and how they're wired to how they're wired to work. You can do a better job of fitting them to the roles you need done. I mean, there may never be a perfect fit, but at least you can do something, you know, objectively with data and a certain measure of subjectivity, of course. To do all you can to make sure employees are in those roles where they have the greatest likelihood of success. I hope that kind of answers your question. Yeah. And what are the, some of the signs that your team may not be optimally aligned? Well, there's a big long laundry list of a lot of different things that show up, but some of those have, well, first and foremost, ones have to do with productivity. That's usually what shows up first. Uh, perhaps missed delivery deadlines, uh, sub quality product, either that or service. One that's a pretty subtle indicator, but usually an indicator is missing deadlines on deliverables. Okay. Most teams have a job to go do, an assignment, and in general, a timeline, and certain deliverables happen at certain places along the way. And if those are you know, not being met consistently, you know, there's going to be the one-off occasions where because of some unforeseen you know, factor that came into the process might have thrown a monkey in the, in the wrench for meeting a, a deadline. But if it appears to be coming a pattern, then that's an indicator that you know, there's something deeper going on with the team. Uh, conflict and frustration, you know, that's usually another sign. Uh, it could be because people just can't get along or because people don't understand each other well enough to be able to work together. And, and being more self-aware of our own behaviors and what our drives are in our head helps us be more, uh, you know, a more productive employee. And the better we understand our teammates, then the, be- the more likely we're going to get along and be more productive because we can understand the other person's behavior. So that self-awareness is what some of the behavioral data really helps out, helps you understand is how you're, you know, you being aware of your own behaviors and understanding others. Attrition is probably another obvious indicator. Uh, Somebody leaves the company or they start asking to be assigned to another team. Uh, But a lot of that also could be driven by the leadership, lack of trust in the leadership or whoever the leader of that team is. Those are probably some of the more common indicators of uh, there's something in in the component or the makeup of your team that may not be optimized. People in the wrong roles, people are there because they're part of the department because they have experience in that general topic. But again, those are some of the more typical indicators of of, uh, a team that may not be completely or optimally designed to accomplish the work. What are some of the common missteps that you see when it comes to talent acquisition? One that I think is probably so subtle that it gets overlooked is employer branding. Okay. Now, Employer brand means different things in different companies and different philosophies and thinkings. But if a company has a clear employer brand, a clear employee value proposition, uh, I think they have a greater chance of finding talent that's actually better fit for the company. Uh, if that is clear and if it's clear to a prospective candidate who wants to work for the company, what they are going to, what they can expect to experience in their job, I think they'll be more likely to decide whether or not that's a worthwhile uh, opportunity to pursue. It still works internally as well for someone who's in-house and on some ongoing basis, either reevaluating because employees are constantly thinking about their own experience, their own career. And some point in time, you know, someone's own personal situation or a change in their role might have them rethink whether or not they are aligned with the company brand. So I think that's one misstep in talent acquisition that uh, gets overlooked quite often. Another one, 
but not as overlooked as much, it probably gets a lot of the attention is the recruiting process. Is it an in-house recruiting process uh, operation or is it outsourced? Okay. Either way, I, I think in the conversations I hear, I always hear about the cost to hire. That's really a you know a hot metric. How much does it cost me to hire each person? Um, I hear that a whole lot more than I hear about the cost of turnover. So I, I think some companies due to budget reasons or just you know, a variety of reasons may underinvest in the actual recruiting process. Okay. Uh, it's probably worth it, in my opinion, to spend a little bit more on a good search firm, a good recruiting firm who has access to the talent pool you need, the type of talent you need, uh, and uh, let that play out in the long-term game of productivity statistics and KPIs. Okay. Uh, as far as talent management goes, once you know you've got the team inside, uh, for a new employee, a clear, uh, clear career path, I think, is very important. And in these days and times, since you know employees tend to change jobs every three to five years, you know, I think a candid conversation on the front end with a new employee, as well as with existing employees, is you know we, we know there are other options out there as life changes for you. Uh, Let's have those conversations. The uh, there's a popular thing in talent management now called stay. Call them stay interviews. I mean, more on more ongoing one-on-one -on -one communication with between a manager and his direct reports. Okay, uh, not necessarily about looking at just the production and the work and the assignments and, and all that side of the performance, but it's more as you know the whole person. You know what's going on in your life without getting you know, too <laughs> into the private side. But, you know, we know that there are other options for the time you're here. Let's make it the best opportunity for both of us. And how can we do that together? So I think that's uh, a conversation or a practice that I think is really a good thing to do. Uh, the other one is giving employees, I think, stretching them enough to keep them challenged, but not overdoing that so that they become taxed and then they become tired or motivated. A case in point, I, I have a neighbor next door, uh, probably 10, 12 years into his career. He's an IT programmer. He's changed jobs twice in the last, what, seven months since we've known him. He changed jobs to come here, and then we've talked since then. And uh, in his conversations, he's kind of feeling like, well, it's, you know, I, I have free time. I'm not being challenged, okay? Which, you know, in some cases, people think, well, that's great. But after a while, in this case, he feels like it's not enough for him. So he looked for something else. So in, his, in that case, he was not being challenged enough uh, to keep his interest and keep him engaged with the company. Um, I know it's hard and a challenge for some managers to, you know, find the right balance of delegation. Uh, under delegating is just as dangerous as over delegating. But sometimes I, I feel, and one thing I've done in my business is I'm willing to let go of control and delegate a little more to my employees than, you know, I'm comfortable with, not too far, but I'm willing to take that risk and say, okay, let's let you walk on your own a little longer. And, you know, if you fall down and scrape your knee, we'll fix it and get up and keep going. So I think that's another thing that really builds engagement and helps, uh, helps with your talent uh, because they realize that, you know, we're not perfect as leaders. They're not perfect as employees and we're all in it together to try and accomplish it. So those are some of the, I guess, the key points that I've learned as uh, over the years of my business. Yeah, no, that is uh, that is pretty comprehensive. So, I mean, it sounds like it's a it's a multidisciplinary kind of approach. You have the the branding, which is basically kind of like the marketing side of it. You're coming up with the your positioning and your brand um, just so that you can make sure that you're getting the right people in. And then making sure that you're looking at, like, from a financial analysis perspective, making sure you're looking at the right metric, not the cost per acquisition or cost per um, 
uh, recruitment, but the actual cost, you know, comparing that against the cost per turnover and making sure that you look at the cost over the long term, as opposed right. to how much uh, the short term cost is. Uh, and then right. once they come in, working with uh, with your HR, you know, team uh, and the management team to make sure that there's a you know, the path, the career path is properly uh, defined, uh, so that people know there's career advancement for them. They can see uh, themselves being with the company for a long period of time because there's a roadmap. And then, of course, you know, even training the managers to be able to delegate properly at the right levels and giving feedbacks one-to-one, frequent one-to-ones and things of that sort. Yeah, that's, and it's an ongoing process. There's a, that's a challenge to do that consistently because of the pressures and demands of the job. But if you have all those things on the table and it's understood and expected, it becomes part of the culture and doesn't make it any easier, but it is effective. Yeah. And what are some of the things that, you know, companies you know, do and can do to create a culture of continuous uh, improvement in the organization? Well, the first one that came to mind is reward, reward it, okay? Reward creativity and rec- and uh, innovation. And that can come in a lot of different forms. I know some companies will have a, you know, a monetary be- you know, benefit in some kind, uh, depending on what their product or what their service is. Uh, that does, and it depends on who the people are, you know, we're wired certain ways. In my case, you know, if I use my own personality, as long as I'm recognized for it, that's fine. I don't need to be paid more for it, depending on what it is, of course. Other people, all I need is a pat on the back. Uh, some prefer that that pat on the back private. Some prefer it public. Okay. Uh, the managers, can, if they know their people, they'll have a sense for which way would work best. But either way, reward that innovation and creativity. So if there is a, a uh, understanding that may not have to be written in the policy manual, but if the culture of the company one in one way or another shows that innovation and, and uh, creativity are rewarded, I think there's a way to, they'll, they'll see continuous improvement. The other thing is employees, you know, give employees the resources they need to do the job. I like to say, give, I'll give you what you need to do the job. I'll give you the instructions and I'll tell you what the end game is. Then I'll get out of your way. Okay. But in the process, uh, if there are new learnings that come along, let's talk about them. If there's a better way to do something, you know, that's an open door, come and talk. I might say, yeah, we tried that three years ago, okay, and it didn't work. Well, it doesn't mean it may not work now, but because it, it's always open for consideration. Business needs processes change. Customer expectations change. One of my favorite phrases as an operations analyst is, well, this is the way we've always done it. As soon as I hear that, my radar goes up and say, okay, that means there's probably five new ways we can do the same thing and be more productive. Okay. Um, so that's another way to, to engage that. <clears throat> okay. Uh, a continuous and structured feedback is important. Um, if continuous improvement is not on you know every agenda or every other agenda in a company meeting, it ought to be. There may not be nothing to talk about on that particular day or that particular instance, but as long as it's a continuous topic on any agenda in the context of the meeting, of course, then it keeps that idea front and center. It goes into people's minds and they go, well, yeah, I don't have anything new to report now, but next time I'm on a certain task or doing a certain chore and I'm struggling with it and I have to find a new way around it, or if in the process I come up with a more effective way to do it, then I might be more likely to make a note of that either mental or write it down and bring it up at the next opportunity. So as long as that uh, continuous improvement is a part of the culture and an expectation and an appreciate and it's appreciated, I think that will certainly you know, help a company accomplish that. Wonderful. 
Um, just last question. So around the casino, was this always business owners are always you know, talking about finding the right qualified talent. What are some of the challenges that you see when it comes to alignment between people and business strategy and the whole talent optimization and engagement in general for the future, well, when helps. it comes to the future? Sure. Well, talent optimization is a very data-driven you know, process. Okay, So it's all based on behavioral data. Um, bringing more objectivity to talent management decisions. They're always going to be subjective because you know we're human. Humans are you know, random and unpredictable. But the more you can take a, you know, subjectivity out of a talent management equation or decision, I think the more likely you are to have success in the long run. So the biggest challenge I think organizations face in the future is trusting the science. Um, there are a lot of you know, people theory and performance theory and personality, th that, that science has been around for a long, long time. But what talent optimization attempts to do is trust that science and then map it in a more objective fashion to the work to be done. Okay? So I think that's the big challenge to accomplish is just trusting in that science. The other one is implementing it. You know, it might be, it looks impressive or it looks good on, on in the scientific standpoint. It makes a lot of sense, but implementing it is is, is a challenge. Uh, it's not, uh, I guess the risk I would see is, you know, leaders that seeing it as a one and done thing. Okay, we've done our behaviors analysis. We've organized our team based on the science. Okay, now what? Well, it's it's not a one and done deal. It is an ongoing process that needs to be ingrained in the culture of the, of the company as well. Um, <clears throat> there needs to be a champion of talent optimization, if you want to call it that. Someone who understands you know, the science behind it, the why's behind it, the what's can, that can be done with it, you know, how it can be used to make sure that all of our talent matches what we're trying to accomplish, make sure that our people are inspired and or help make sure that our people are inspired and motivated because they are in roles where they feel like they are successful, they're not overstressed, but challenged, and really have a desire to stay longer and be the best contributor to organization success as they can. Uh, the other challenge is kind of related back up on uh, the recruiting side, and that's the perceived cost. Again, you know, I think you know, surprisingly inexpensive to invest in a, in a tool. And technology is out there, and there are a lot of you know, very in incredibly powerful talent management tools. And the costs go across the board are very expensive and some less, but there are a lot of good ones out there that are reasonably affordable for initial investment. But then the uh, real work is taking it and applying it and getting your, your talent optimization champions on board, helping the employee organization, the organization understand what it is and how it applies and help them see those benefits as they implement it. And then make it an ongoing, uh, an ongoing part of the organization, not just something we're going to do this year and then next year we'll see where it takes us. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And uh, this is uh, this was a fast, um, knowledge-packed half hour. Uh, certainly appreciate your time. And uh, we'll do it again. We'll do it again. There's there's more to come. So just uh, just uh, sit tight. And uh, you know we're gonna have ever for another. I think we already agreed on a, a couple a couple of episodes. So there's there's more to it. It's a very broad uh, field. So. Uh, thank you. How do people get in contact with you if they want to, you know, follow up with you and have more conversations? Uh, well, I've got a website out there, iriconsulting.com. 
Okay, there are uh, several different places where you, my phone number is posted. You can click my calendar icon and book some time with me. Uh, I also have a page on LinkedIn. So if you look me up by name, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to uh, connect with anybody who's interested in knowing more about talent optimization. Uh, plus, my phone number is out there. And most websites I go to now, you just can't find a phone number. Yeah, I'm not shy. I'll put mine out there if someone wants to try the old-fashioned one. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And I look forward to a future session. Wonderful. Well, thanks again. And uh, that's it for this week. And we're going to have all the IRI consulting information in the show notes so people can access that information as well. So thanks, okay. Everett. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.